0: Jerusalem, 8030. 30 Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon, and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the very first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the apostle James and had Peter arrested, but an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. On his final missionary journey, Paul traveled through Galatia, Phagria, and Ephesus, encouraging the disciples in the city. He then spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. Paul is then sent to Rome for trial, but the shipwrecked on the island of Malta. When he finally arrived in Rome, he lived there for two years before Nero ordered his beheading. After 28 chapters, the story of Acts comes to an end. Yet the story of the gospel doesn't stop there. Out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 80, Christianity spread further to the countries of France and Tunisia, 20 years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, the gospel reached Portugal and Morocco. Christianity found its way to Austria in AD 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In AD 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England, and within the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. In 8740, 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Iceland, but it wasn't until AD that missionaries reached the country of Norway. Out of joy, the church multiplied. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In 1491, missionaries arrived in the Africa Congo, and the first church was located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. And as a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. In 1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. Out of joy, the church multiplied. The early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America, where both George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival throughout the colonies. During the Second Great Awakening in 1832, a group of churches formed simply known as Christian churches. New churches would start seeking to see the gospel advanced in the United States. By the mid-20th century, Christian churches had become very active with church planting organizations, and in 1956, the North Willamette Evangelistic Association was formed and began planting Christian churches in the Pacific Northwest. Seeking people to plant a church in the Happy Valley area, the NWCEA partnered with Mountain View and Kern Park Churches to plant a new church. And in June of 1989, Abundant Life Christian Church was planted. Looking back on our history, all the way back to the Acts through present day, we see the church multiplying. As bearers of the good news, God calls each of us into a story and a mission. Sometimes it's hard. For some, we leave family and friends. Sometimes we give up our comforts. So whether we go, we stay, we pray, or we support, we are all wrapped up in this joyful call to take what started in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We are a part of the next chapter in this story. What role will you play? Come on.
1: Man, isn't it so good to know that the faith that you and I have Uh, The church that you and I are a part of uh, isn't something that was dreamed up in the heart of man. It wasn't something that, you know, just kind of randomly happened. But the the faith that you and I are a part of is an ancient faith. It's a historical faith. The church that you and I get the privilege of meeting in is a a church that um, is connected to not just the church throughout all of history and all of time, but connected right the way back to God's heart, and I think it's just an awesome thing, Uh, I want to thank Hunter, Uh, he put about 20 hours in uh, to pull off that video, can we give give a hand to Hunter this morning, Hunter thank you, man we have such a great team. Such a great team that works so hard. And, and I, I wanted to put that kind of a video together because I wanted us to recognize and understand that as followers of Jesus and as, as members of Abundant Life Church, that we are part of a bigger story. And in fact, over the next four weeks, we're going to do a little series called Neighborhoods to Nations where we're going to explore not just our heart. We hope that our heart is rooted in God's heart for your neighbors and right the way to the nations of the world. And my job today is really just to kind of set up the story or set up the series a little bit. I want to convince you of a few things this morning. And the first thing that I think the video has already done, so put a check mark next to this one, is that your and my life is part of a much bigger story. The story of Abundant Life Church is part of a much bigger story story that that we're actually partnering with God in his mission to see something happen here on planet earth and sometimes we can get kind of so locked into our own kind of little world and, and our own struggles and our own challenges and our own difficulties that we can miss the bigger picture we can miss the bigger story the bigger mission that god is inviting us into in fact in, in when he rescued you when he saved you uh, what he didn't just save you so that you could kind of make it to heaven. You've heard me say this a million times, right? That you and I are not just saved so that someday we'll make it to heaven. No, no, no. God has rescued you from yourself, from your sin, and chosen to invite you into, to involve you in his story and his mission. And so you're in my life, man. We are part of a much bigger story. And that story involves mission. That story involves, more specifically, God's mission. Now, how many of you, uh, and I'm guilty of this, I'm the kind of guy that likes to just, I'm like on a mission, you know? Um, Like, when I go to the store, we're going to the store to get that particular item. If they don't have that particular item, we're leaving the store, you know what I'm saying? Now, how many of you would be kind of that way? You're, uh, You're kind of on mission, you go to the store, right? You know, it's like, and, and you know, now for the guys, I'm sure you're on mission when you go to Freddy's, right? But you're not probably as on mission when you go to Home Depot. You're, ready, you're willing to wander a little bit, you know? And I, but I'm that kind of guy, you know, it's like, man, if I'm going to go on a hike, I don't want to go, I joke all the time, you know, no, we're not going on a nature walk through a forest, right? We are going on a hike, we're getting to a waterfall, we're getting to a vista, there's some sort of photo op, some sort of moment, we've got to get to that place, right? Uh, I'm the kind of guy that, um, you know, I don't know if about, you know, maybe you're like this, maybe you're not, but if we're, on, if we're going on a road trip, I, tell, I used to tell my kids, make sure that your bladder is in inverse proportion to the fuel tank in my car because that's the only time we're stopping (laughs) when the fuel tank hits empty your bladder better be full and then you can go to the bathroom because otherwise we're on a mission and my wife and I just actually flew back from uh from Denver uh just yesterday and uh I think after 28 years of marriage she's finally figured out that um I'm not the funnest guy probably to travel with because when I get to the airport you know it's like I wake up I gotta get to the airport gotta I'm on a mission. Got to get through the airport, you know? And so there are times yesterday when I turn around and I'm like, where's Jenny? Where's Jenny, you know? And I've left my wife behind, you know? I'm a horrible husband. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I do. I repent. But uh, actually, a couple of years ago, we actually flew to, we were in London, probably actually about 10, 12 years ago now, and uh, there's a lot of really great stuff to see in London, Uh, you know, Buckingham Palace, and, and Big Ben, and Trafalgar Square, and all of those kinds of things, you know, and so how many of you, have anybody ever been to London? You know, there's a ton of really great kind of tourist attractions to go see. Well, I go to London to buy a hat, this hat right here, actually. And what happened was, because remember, I'm a man on a mission. And back, th- back then, about 10, 12 years ago, I was cycling about, I don't know, 150 miles a week. And I was part of a group and I was totally into cycling. And I don't know why, but you know, on like your feed on like Instagram or Facebook, you know, little ads show up, you know. And an ad for this hat showed up. And it's, a, it's an amazing hat. This is called a capagnola hat. I think that's how you pronounce it. Which is like a little cycling hat that they made out of like this tweed hat that, you know, kind of that they would wear in Ireland. And I, I thought, you guys have never seen me in a hat before, have you? You know why? Because my wife says I look stupid in hats. And so I don't wear hats <laughs> that often. <laughs> but I was like a man possessed Forget about Big Ben, forget about the Houses of Parliament, forget about, you know, the, 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 the Tower of London and, and the, all the jewels, like forget about all that stuff, I'm simply wanting to get the hat. And this hat, to tell you the story, this hat was located in a market in London called Camden Locks. Camden, by the way, Camden Locks is the that's the birthplace of punk rock, right? And so so it's this like weird little market in this obscure part of London, and it's this, it's in this little stall. And by the time I finally got there, you know, I was like looking for the stall, I'd found the number, I'd been communicating the, with the guy on Facebook, you know. I am traveling some six, seven thousand miles to buy this hat. And I finally find the hat in a corner of this little stall. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I barely wear the hat because I look stupid in hats. But it does sit in my, lo- in my, my, my closet. And I do, I might annoy my wife, but it sits in my closet. And when I look at the hat, I remember the good time that we had. I remember the mission that we were on. Because actually what's really funny, isn't it true, babe? Camden Lock's was this amazing market and this great food and just kind of the vibrancy and the life and the diversity of London all taking place in this little market. And and so I tend to be a guy who's on mission. I am guilty as charged. But what I wanna leave us with this morning and what we're gonna talk about really over the next few weeks, babe, is my hair okay? It is a little, my hair, my wife's always looking at my hair. See, that's why I don't wear hats. (laughs) Sorry if my hair's messed up, but it's totally distracting you like it's distracting my wife right now. <laughs> See, we know each other. But God is a God of mission. God is not, uh, not this entity who just kind of creates and then lets the world kind of spin on its own axis and just kind of get on with whatever it needed to get on with. No, no, no. God, in creating humanity, and creating all of creation was creating something that was designed specifically for a purpose and for a mission. In fact, you and me, we were actually designed to be a part of God's mission. And, and, and this is the story that we've unpacked over the last 18 months. We, we talk about it a lot. In fact, we've actually woven it into the mission of our church, which is that we are to live out God's story the way Jesus showed us. And this is what we discover in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and I won't spend too much time rehearsing all of this because you know it, we've talked about it, but God in creating humanity, created humanity and actually created this planet that we inhabit and that we exist on, he created it for a very specific purpose. He had a mission in mind and even though humanity stumbled, even though humanity fell, even though humanity rebelled against God, his mission continued on. And and I think there's this little verse in Habakkuk 2, verse 14, that really describes so beautifully and so succinctly what the mission and what the purpose of God is. And it simply reads this, for as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That's the mission of God. That God in creating all of humanity, God in creating all of creation, in fact, God's original design for you and I wasn't just to be in a relationship with him. By the way, a relationship that we'll discover is defined and fueled by his love. But what we discover is that God actually from day one in creating Adam and Eve actually created them for purpose, created them for mission, created them them to join him in his story, in his mission, in his purpose, and what he had in mind for this planet. And and Habakkuk describes it this way, as the waters cover the sea. Think about that for a second. Doesn't that sound like a little bit of, when you actually break that thought down, like that sounds a little bit funny. As the waters cover the sea, will the waters entirely cover the sea? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what God's mission is. That his glory would cover the entire earth. That the revelation of who God is, the revelation of, of God's heart, God's passion, God's purpose, of God's glory and God's majesty would fill the earth, would cover the entire earth as the waters cover the sea. And so from day one, this is what God invited, created humanity for. Now we know the story by Genesis chapter 3 that that Adam and Eve wanted that glory for themselves. We recognize that there was a spiritual enemy behind that that was questioning the goodness of God, that was questioning the purpose of God. Did God really say? Can God really be trusted? Is God really good? And Adam and Eve believed the lie. And in believing the lie, they turned their back not only on God, but they turned their back on God's purpose. And what we ended up with was a planet that was being filled, as Genesis chapter six tells us, was filled with all kinds of violence, all kinds of destruction. It wasn't as it was meant to be. But what I love about the story of God is that God doesn't give up on his purpose, God doesn't give up on his mission. Why? Because it's God's glory that's at stake. In fact, one of the things when you're reading through the Bible, it's a thread that runs through the Bible. In fact, before Jesus would go to the cross, you know what Jesus and his father were talking about? They weren't talking about you and I. They weren't talking about kind of the rescue plan, the salvation plan, how many are we going to get into heaven? That's not what they were talking about. Jesus was having a conversation with his father about his glory. Why? Why? Because he wanted the earth to be filled with the glory of God. And it's filled with the glory of God through you and I, through his people. And so we discover, back to Genesis chapter 3, is that, man, the enemy tries to subvert not just God's love and God's glory, but he tries to subvert the plan, the story, the mission that God is on. And this is why Jesus comes. Jesus comes. Yes, to save you. Yes, to rescue you. Yes, to create the the way for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father and for you to get to heaven. But Jesus comes so that the mission of God, the purpose of God, the story of God, which is the glory of God filling the earth or the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, so that that might be brought back on track. And so this is what we find when we, when we read Jesus' own words. And, and you've heard me reference this verse a number of times over the last 18 months. Jesus shows up, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus describes his entrance onto the stage of this earth, his, his, his kind of physical being coming to this earth. He says it this way, he says that the time promised by God has come. See, when when Adam and Eve fell, when Adam and Eve rebelled, God made a promise to humanity that someday I will send a rescuer who won't just rescue you from your sin, but a rescuer who will rescue the story of God, will return the people of God to the mission of God. And he says, so that promised time, the promise that God made has come at last, and that's one of the things that I love about God, is that God is a, is a God who doesn't just make a promise, but actually keeps his promises. That God is someone that you can trust, that God is someone that when he, when he speaks his word to you, that you can take it to the bank. In fact, the way the Bible says is that it's a yes and an amen to the promises of God. And, and what is this promise that God then is talking about? Well, the promise is this. He announced it, that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, this mission, this purpose, this story of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea, this story, this purpose, this mission of the kingdom of God being on earth as it is in heaven, that time has now come in Jesus coming to earth. That Jesus is coming to restore purpose, to restore mission, to get us back on track with God's purpose, God's story, and God's mission. And he says, so he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You know, that word repent literally means do a 180 degree. And, and, and so often we reduce it to, well, I was a sinner You know, I'm sinning, I'm doing my own thing, I'm going my own way. And so when I stop, I realize Jesus has come to rescue me, to forgive me. And so in in forgiving me, there's a, a response that I ought to have, and that response is one of, Repentance. We used to teach our kids this all the time. That repentance is a 180 degree turn. If I'm going this way, doing my own will, doing my own purpose, then repentance, which is my response to what Jesus has done for me, is me making a 180 degree turn and me moving in the direction of God. And, and, and that's true of this passage. But it's not just to do with your heart. It's not just to do with your relationship with Jesus. Remember, you are part of a bigger story. There is a greater call. There is a greater mission. There is a greater purpose on your life than just kind of existing and surviving and trying to make it to heaven. And it's described by Jesus as the kingdom of God has arrived. In other words, the king's domain, the authority and the rulership of God here on earth has now arrived in Jesus' coming. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus isn't just redeeming and restoring individual lives, Jesus is redeeming and restoring the very mission, the very story, the very purpose of God here on earth, that the glory of God might cover the earth just as the waters cover the sea. And so Jesus comes not just to redeem us uh, and, and, and forgive us and help us get to heaven. Jesus comes to redeem and to restore the very mission, the very story of God. In fact, at the end of his life, right before he would, uh, he'd been crucified, buried, resurrected and for 40 days he hangs out with some 500 witnesses who see Jesus alive and he gathers his disciples for one last time and and the thing that he leaves them with isn't now I came so that you could just be redeemed I came so that you could just be forgiven I came so that you could get a golden ticket to heaven No, 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 that's not what he leaves his disciples with. In fact, what he leaves his disciples with is what we call in the church world, the Great Commission. And, And what he is saying, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and what Jesus is saying to you and I, is that you and I have been not just rescued and redeemed and restored so that we might walk with and have a relationship with Jesus. No, you and I have been rescued, redeemed, and restored so that we can join God in his mission. Of seeing the kingdom of God established here on earth, of seeing his glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John or or Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, that little word go, the the way it's actually the, the way it should probably be translated is as you go. Make disciples. So, as you're going about your regular old life, as you're going to work, as you're raising your family, as you're engaging in hobbies, as you're involved in your small group, as you are involved in the community that God has placed you in, as you maybe go on a trip somewhere around the world to a different people and a different culture, as you go, make disciples. Join God in his mission. Join God in what he is doing here on this earth. Because what Jesus was describing to his disciples at the end, before he was ascending into heaven, the mission, the call, the thing that he left them with, is that you are to join me in what I came to do. And what I came to do was to see the kingdom of God established here on earth. How is the kingdom established? It's established through people. It's established through human beings whose lives are surrendered and, and given over to Jesus. It's, it's, uh, it's built and extended through people who, who no longer have allegiance and loyalty and fidelity to the culture of this world, but instead have loyalty and fidelity to Jesus Christ as King. And this is exactly what the early church was going through. The early church had a decision to make. Am I going to be loyal? Is my fidelity, is my allegiance going to be to Caesar? Or is it going to be to Jesus? And they made the decision that allegiance would be to Jesus. And as they surrendered their life to Jesus, as they became disciples of Jesus, what began to happen, and you can read it not just in the book of Acts, you can read it through secular historians, you can read it through uh, Roman Caesars who sent people out to go and investigate the early church. What was different about this group of people and what they decided or what they discovered, what was different was that their life was yielded, surrendered to Jesus Christ. That they were choosing to live the way of Jesus versus the way of the culture in which they lived. And this is what Jesus invited us into. In fact, Jesus said it another way in John chapter 20 and verse 21. He said this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so what we discover is that, that God had a mission. In fact, to be really honest with you, you know, God was the first missionary That God was the missionary who came from heaven to earth. In fact, the Bible actually says it this way, that in the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam and Eve. God was present with Adam and Eve. And it was in and through their relationship with God that God had designed that they would fill the earth. Remember what he said? Be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth with the glory of God. I want the kingdom of God to be established here on earth. And this is exactly what Jesus has invited you and I into. God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And what we see recorded in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and then throughout the whole book of Acts, is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit send the church They send you and I into the world to join God in his mission here on planet Earth. And it's why we as a church have, uh, you know, we have four pursuits um, that we try to kind of define what we do and what we're about as a church. And and one of those pursuits is, is simply this, that we pursue neighborhoods donations, which is really just a handle. It's, a, it's like a little header, a little umbrella, a little label for us to try to remind ourselves that we have been invited into a much bigger story. In fact, we, we describe it this way, that we pursue joining God's restorative work locally and globally. So here where God has placed us, but not just here around the world, by being generous or by generously using all that God has given us for his glory. Why is it for his glory? Well, he tells us in Habakkuk 2.14, God wants his glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's why we do it for God's glory. And we do it for the good of others so that people might be saved and live out God's story. And so we recognize that you and I, we've been called into a much bigger story. You and I have been called into a greater mission. You and I have been called into something that's so much bigger than the here and now, so much bigger than what we can see around us. And, and it's our job as, as the church to continue to remind us that we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the people of this planet. We exist so that the glory of God might advance, might be displayed, might be poured out, and cover whatever area of influence we have, that it might be poured out so, so that just as the water's cover the sea. But it's really, really important. And this is really where I want to just kind of land the plane this week. And even and, and if there's one thing that I hope you will get away, get out of this morning sermon, isn't just that we join God in his mission. Because it's entirely possible for us to go, yes, I get it. I'm going to go out and do really good things in the community. Or I'm going to save up and I'm going to go on a missions trip. And I'm going to go do something fantastic around the world. And please pray about those things. Be involved in those kinds of things. But the critical question is, what is it that motivates you and I to be on mission with God? Because it's not about works. It's not about us just doing something out of a cold sense of duty. It's not just us kind of saying, okay, get it. I'm on mission. I'm in the story of God. And I'm going to. The question that we've got to answer if we are going to partner with God, if we are going to join him in his restorative work here on earth, if we're going to be a part of his mission and his story and his purpose, the question that we've got to ask ourselves is what is it that motivates us? What is it that moves us? Is it a sense of duty? Is it a sense of, uh, man, I I just guilt, shame, i got to do it? Is it a sense of I've got to earn my way and do some things and God will be happy with me? What is it that compels us to be a part of God's story? We recognize that God's on mission. God has a story and a purpose. He sent his Son who sends the Spirit who sends us. So we understand, even according to John chapter 20, that as he sent Jesus... Jesus is sending us. So I know I'm supposed to be doing something. But before we talk about what is it that we're supposed to be doing, we first have to talk about what is it that motivates us or compels us to be on mission with God. And what we discover, and I think the best place for us to look for that, is to go back and look at the very heart of God. You see, it's interesting that Jesus in John chapter 20, so post-resurrection, he's meeting with his disciples, and he says, as I've already shared, what he says to his disciples is, he says, listen, I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. But there's a very similar type type incident, and actually some similar language that Jesus used with his disciples before he went to the cross. And it's really important that you and I get these things in their right order, it's not just about us, you know, being sent and getting out there. It's about us living from a certain place that compels us and motivates us to go. And, and the incident that I'm referring to is actually found in John chapter 15. So in John chapter 20, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Yes, sir. I got my marching orders. But before Jesus sent the disciples, he makes this statement to them in John chapter 15 and verse 9. And he says this, as the father has loved me, I have loved you. Now abide in my love. And that word abide is used, I think, 11 times in John chapter 15. And it's, it's the little word, the little Greek word literally means to make your home in, to tabernacle in, to put down roots in His love. And the point that I want us to walk out of here with today is that, that yes, I can be guilted into feeling like I gotta be on mission and I gotta go and I gotta do. And yes, we should be doing all of those things. But what fuels and what motivates sentness. Is God's love. We talk about this as a staff all the time. Because it's very easy to become a professional Christian. In other words, you know, you get paid a you get paid a salary to kind of be a Christian, to kind of lead in church world. And and we talk about the idea all the time, checking in, and, and you know, we don't do it every week, but from time to time, we're constantly checking in to say, How's your heart? How's your love? are you living out of a place of first love? In fact, one of the greatest churches, we'll talk about this church over the summer, was the church of Ephesus. And, and, And in the church of Ephesus, Jesus writes a letter to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, he says, I see all your good works. I see all the amazing things that you're doing for the kingdom of God, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. That serious was Jesus about where you live from what compels you and what motivates you that he wrote that letter to the church in Ephesus. And I think what God wants us to know and to understand, what the way God wants us to live on mission with him, like in his story on purpose for him, what compels us, what motivates us is the love of God. And honestly, we, we as a staff, man, we, had this, we do staff chapel uh, twice a month on a Tuesday morning, our staff comes together, we worship, so, you know, we have a little thought, we pray together, uh, seeking God, and then we pray for specific things in the church, and this week, this past week, it was, um, I, it was my turn to kind of lead a little bit, and um, the guys know that I'm, I'm the kind of guy that kind of goes, you know, sometimes the guys will go, well, what's the plan, and I go, the plan is, there is no plan, you know, I heard you, Aaron, <laughs> But I all morning I had just been feeling this verse, John 15, 9, in my heart. And in my own personal devotions that morning, I was in tears because I was like, Lord, you have loved me the way your father loved you. Which meant and means that God's love for me is not conditional upon my maturity, the things that I do for Him. You get that, right? that God's love for you and I is purely motivated out of a heart of love. It comes from him because God is love. And, and uh, Scott gets up and, man, Scott's just, he's, I, I always say he's a little bit prophetic. He just kind of like picks these songs that are like just, oh my gosh, like did you know what I was thinking? Did you know what was going on in my personal prayer time this morning? Were you in my devotions? And he picks these songs and one of them was um, a song, just it's called Amazed. And the whole, the lyrics of the song are basically built around this idea that that I just stand amazed at your love for me. And I got up to kind of, you know, worship, we were kind of winding, you know, worship was winding down and it was like one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like that where it's like, oh my goodness, like the presence of God is like really, I don't know, heavy, I don't know how to even describe it, but there was something special in the room and I, I got up to kind of do my thing, you know, kind of share a few thoughts. And I literally couldn't talk. It was like the presence of God was so real. That was the, the fact that what God wanted to do for us in that moment was to remind us that he loves us the way his father loved him. And that what ought to motivate us as a staff, what moves us to do what we do, is not some sense of duty, not some paycheck, not some thing that, man, I'm supposed to do this. No, no, no. What, What moves us to be on mission, what moves us to do the things that we do, is the fact that he loves us. And what is true for our staff is true for you and I as followers of Jesus. That you and I are called, moved, motivated, compelled. Not by some sense of duty. Not just because Jesus said, go, as you go, make disciples. Not just because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I sent you. No, behind and beneath and beyond, behind on what motivates all of that is that I love you just the way my Father loved me. Abide, remain, build your home in, stay in my love. And what happens in the next verse in John 15 10 is that Jesus then says this, if you will abide there, if you will live out of that place of love, then you'll do the things that I ask you to do. You'll do the things that I've called you to do. And the point that, I was try- that I'm trying to make this morning, and I think the point that Jesus makes in these conversations, this ongoing conversation that he's having with his disciples, is that your sentness your involvement in God's mission, in God's purpose, in God's story. Your involvement in seeing the kingdom of God established here on earth as it is in heaven. Your involvement in the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters covers the sea is all rooted in and motivated by love. And this is what we see in God's heart. You see, if mission is something that we're supposed to be involved with, mission, we said at the start, started in God's heart. And what was it that compelled God? It was love. 1 John 4.19 says that God is love. John 3.16, we all know the verse. For God so loved. Like God so loved you and me. What did he do? He sent his only begotten son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would be invited into relationship and invited into mission and invited into purpose. It's God's love that moves us. The nature of love is always to go out love this quote by Robert E. Coleman. He said this, Love is always giving itself away. When it's self-centered, it's not love. And isn't that what we see in the heart of God? God didn't keep things to himself. When when humanity turned its back on God, when humanity rebelled against God, God didn't shake his fist. God didn't kind of take a swipe at humanity with some sort of big two by four and wipe it out from the face of the earth. No, no, no. Motivated and moved by love, God didn't move away from humanity. God moved towards humanity. Why? Because he's compelled by love. Love always moves out from, from where you're at towards other people there's a couple in the church I, I don't want to embarrass them but well they're, they're sitting right here so Larry and Katie they, they're awesome I just said it and I tell them all the time I said if I could choose my family I'd want to be a part of your family now I'm sure it's not a perfect family you know but I see them on Facebook all the time and they're like dating each other like how many years have you guys been married right now? 18 years They're together 18 years right? so, so like here they are 18 years and they're still dating each other right? I see their kids and doing game time together, and what's happening, I, I just love what I see, because love doesn't keep to itself, love gives away. And that's what God has done for us. We see this in the life of Jesus, right? For the Son of Man didn't come to whack you upside the head. The Son of Man didn't come to discipline you, didn't come to give you a heart. No, no, no. look what it says in John nineteen ten or Luke nineteen ten. The Son of Man came to seek and to save you, To rescue you, he came after you. Luke 19, 41. And I love this. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. And he didn't curse it. He didn't speak evil of it. He didn't put it down for all of the sin, for all of the kind of turning its back on him. No, no, no. He wept over it. And this is what we see in the heart of God. We see God moving towards people. Why? Because of his love. He's compelled by love. Now what, what we see then in the early church is the very same thing. That the early church, when, when humanity, there was, a, there was actually in the early church, there was actually disease, there was a, there was quite, there was a plague that was uh, kind of overtaking the Roman Empire, and many were fleeing, but the early church, those early Christians, they, were, they weren't running. They were staying. What motivated them? What compelled them? Love. In fact, Paul says it this way in Second Corinthians 5. He said, for Christ, love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all. That those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Do you see what Paul's saying there? I don't live for myself anymore. I don't live for my own purpose, my own mission, my own story. No, no, no. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, I, being compelled by love, I live now for the sake of others and for the glory of God. This is what ought to motivate us. That that you and I are called into purpose. You and I are called into mission. And when our hearts begin to resonate with the heart of God. When our hearts begin to resonate with God's heart of love for humanity, lost humanity, seeking and saving the lost. When our hearts and his hearts begin to resonate together, something powerful begins to happen. In 1940, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge collapsed They built this this kind of bridge, kind of an engineering feat, but what they discovered was that as the wind blew through the channel, that the bridge began to, it was called a double oscillation, and the bridge, the wind began to resonate, or the bridge began to resonate, and the two frequencies matched up, and, and it ended up destroying the bridge. Clemson Football Stadium. That what they discovered was that they built this amazing football stadium. Some of your, are, are there any SEC fans in the, in the church? Please no, please no. Oh, gosh, sorry. T- in fact, I think they're ACC now that I think about it, but it's okay. I told my kids, I said, three things we hate in life devil, sin, and the SEC. What they discovered about this stadium was that when the band started playing Louie Louie, and by the way, I just discovered in first service, we had the bass player from the band that wrote Louie Louie. He goes to our church, how cool a church are we, right? (laughs) Anyway, when, they started, when the band started playing Louie Louis," what they discovered was that the stadium was beginning to crumble because the frequency of the stadium and the frequency at which the band was playing began to match up. And the point that I'm simply trying to make, and this is a term in physics, but when, when the two things resonated in frequency with one another, something powerful began to happen. Can you imagine what might happen in Happy Valley? in Boring, in Damascus, in Portland, in Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest, in this nation, in the nations of the world, if your and my heart might begin to resonate with the heart of God, that as you and I, compelled by love, say, I'm gonna go. I'm not going to stay, I'm not going to live for my own purposes, I'm not going to live for my, my own devices and my own desires and my own design, no, 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 my allegiance, my loyalty, my fidelity is to Jesus Christ, Oh, and because it is, I am compelled by love to go do what he called me to do, to go as you go make disciples. As you go, share your faith. As you go, be an ambassador of Jesus Christ at the gym, at work, in your neighborhood and the nations of the earth. This is what God has called us to. Come on, this is what God has called us to. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand together. And I want you to respond. We're going to sing a song together. I think the words of the song are just so powerful. It might be a new song to you. But I think God's call to us today is am I going to choose to live my own story? Am I going to choose to kind of go my own direction in life? Or am I going to choose to join God in his mission compelled by his love? As the Father has sent me, oh, I'm sending you. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Let love be what compels you and motivates you to move into God's story and God's mission. And so today, Jesus, we respond, even as we sing this song, we respond, Lord Jesus, by saying we will be a church, we will be a people, Lord Jesus, that is on mission with you, moved and compelled and motivated by your love. So Lord Jesus, use us to go and make disciples. In Jesus' name.